Now, maybe you're here this morning because you've heard about Jesus, but you've never truly experienced Him. Not, not in the way you hear some people talk about. When people talk about a personal relationship with God, or a personal relationship with Jesus. Or perhaps you have a present trust in Jesus. Uh, you've trusted He's forgiven you through the cross. You trust that He can forgive you because of the resurrection. He rose from the dead. And so proving everything He said was true about forgiveness, about acceptance, about love. Perhaps you trust Him to run your life and run it well. But it's been a while since you've experienced Him. By which I mean, maybe it's been a while since uh, that vertical connection felt something other than kind of fuzzy. Maybe it's been a while since you've witnessed uh, an answer to prayer, much less, immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. Maybe it's uh, been a while since you've broken free from an addiction, from an idol in your life that still kind of bonds you, that enslaves you, you just can't get free from. Maybe it's been a while since you've sensed God using you in the lives of others. You feel like when you're with other people, you have nothing from God to bring to the table. And it's been a while since you have. I'm glad you're here, if that's you. Because God is going to address these feelings, these concerns, which He does through His Word. Now my concern is that when we're waiting on God, we often default to one of two things when we wait on Him. Uh, One is we resign ourselves. It's what I call Christian Eeyoreism. For me, see this before you write that nobody loves me. Nobody cares. God isn't here. We just retreat. And and all joking aside, it, it doesn't mean there isn't a place for sadness in the Christian life. There isn't a place we can go for melancholy and depression, but it isn't into the closet of self-pity, as we'll see this morning. I want to encourage you with that. But the other default and that I worry about for, for all of us, and looking at my own heart as well, is that when I'm waiting on God, I often default to live for myself in the meantime. Right, because it's God's fault, right? Because you are reminded, even by me, that we are completely dependent on Him to work, on Him to initiate. That's what grace is, right? We're helpless. We need Him to work. And so when He doesn't work, we say, well, you know, that's kind of God's fault. And so while I'm waiting, I'm just going to live my life my way in the meantime. We're going to read this morning about a gentleman who, who waited to experience a work of God. Days, weeks, months, probably years. And he was tempted, no doubt, towards these defaults, to just live his life his own way, or more likely for him, just isolate himself. Self-pity. But instead, he persisted in seeking as he waited. And that's how Bartimaeus experienced the work of Jesus Christ. Let's read together the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. And they came to Jericho. And as Jesus was leaving, 
Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and he said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, He sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed Jesus on the way. This is God's word. Now, as it's been uh, six weeks since we've looked together at the person of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, uh, I'm going to back up a little bit and just cover some ground that's important, I think, to cover before we plunge into this. Uh, By way of Jericho, 12 miles east and a little north of Jesus' destination, Jesus the Christ is now approaching that destination, Jerusalem, where he's going to spend the remainder of his life. And he's going to uh, reveal with ultimate clarity and authority who he really is. And as his identity begins to sharpen with further clarity, so does the response of others to him. Here, as well as in chapters 11 and 12, we see this. Gone is the back and forth, flip-flopping of the disciples' faith. Right, the apostles' faith as they go back and forth responding to Jesus. Gone is the haziness of their understanding of who he is or might be. In fact, the, the twelve apostles really don't come into view very much over the next couple chapters. Rather, in view here are the, are the crystallized responses to the one who is and continues to crystallize who he is. And so as he makes that more clear, the responses get more clear, both good and and bad, both positive and negative. In fact, he has just uttered one of those sort of crystallizing claims about himself in chapter 10, verse 45. The Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. In other words, he's saying, I have come to rescue you and you and you from captivity to that which enslaves you. Sin, the rebellion in your own heart, as well as Satan. I'm willing to trade places with you. Are you willing to let him rescue and run your life? We're going to see in the coming weeks the clearest responses yet to that question. Are you willing to let me Rescue and run your life. Starting here with Bartimaeus. His response is called by one commentator, the theological center of Mark's gospel. 
It is at the very least, most call it the pinnacle of faith and discipleship in Mark. And Mark makes a big deal about discipleship, right? It's all about responding to Jesus and following Him. And nearly every commentator says this is the ideal picture of faith. Jesus leaves room for this man to respond. What do you want me to do for you? He does respond, and even to the point of following Jesus. In fact, he's the only person who who has uh, encountered Jesus, who immediately gets the identity of Jesus, immediately reaches out in faith, and immediately just leaves everything to follow him. True discipleship. So my question this week as I was studying this passage and, and just kind of chewing on it, is what makes Bartimaeus different? Why this man? He hasn't walked with Jesus before. He hasn't known Jesus. He's only heard about Jesus. So what makes him different? And I think what makes him different is Bartimaeus kept seeking while he waited. He, kept, he knew he was in need of help, but even as he knew he just needed help and waited for the help. He kept seeking. He was putting himself in positions to be ready when God came with the help that he was so desperately seeking. Who here goes to the doctor or to the hospital as a last resort when they're sick? First of all, you probably don't even go to the ibuprofen as a first resort. You just think it's going to pass. This is what we do. We well, often the best choice is to immediately seek that kind of professional help. We constantly weigh the cost of inconvenience, adjusting our schedule, right? Not to mention just the often misnomer, it's just going to get better on its own. And the way I thought of trying to get a handle on uh, what makes Bartimaeus different also affords me to brag about my older brother who's a doctor. My brother, a surgeon more specifically, Washington, University of Washington in Seattle, Washington. And he can be a very difficult guy to get a hold of outside of the hospital. Emails, phone calls, not very good with those. I love him to death. Uh, he's on no social media. His preferred uh, method of communication is still the old school answering machine. But if you catch him in the hospital, he's one of the most incredibly helpful sensitive, and kind persons you'll ever meet, as my mom recently discovered. My mom, who does not live in Seattle, Washington, recently had to have back surgery back in April. My brother found for her the right surgeon for her, for her back surgery, and he, the surgeon happened to perform that surgery in the same hospital where my brother works. So as she was in and around this hospital for like three weeks, she met people who interacted with Brant all the time. And they said things to her she, in fact, was overwhelmed with reports of, oh, Dr. O is so sweet. We love him. He sits and talks with me when other doctors don't. You know, he, he listened to me for 30 minutes one day and immediately, you know, referred me out to someone who could help when he heard about my condition. Or he heard someone else say, you know what, well, he, he listened to me talk about my stomach pains that I was experiencing and ordered a laparoscopy for the same day. He was just helpful like that. And I've heard him say to someone outside of the hospital, who had a medical question, hey, come visit me sometime in the hospital and I'll get you help. Which gives him the added assurance that they really want help, if they really believe I can help them, you know, then they'll just come and they'll make an appointment, they'll drive. I think this is a little bit of what's going on here in this passage. That Jesus says, I'll help you. Now, 
Seek me in the places I say I'll help. Get to the hospitals of God clearly demonstrated through His Word. Not that Jesus doesn't make house calls. Not that He isn't still with you when you do stray. Not that He doesn't do unusual and extraordinary acts in different and unexpected places and times. He does, absolutely. But most often He asks us to seek Him where He says He might be found. To get off our keister, recognize we're sick, and get to the hospital. Because the seeking as we wait for Him to work shows faith. That's where faith can be sparked. That's where it can grow. That's where there's room for it to expand. It's in the seeking. Let me tell you, Jesus loves faith. He is attracted to it like nothing else. So in a nutshell this morning, if I could summarize the sermon in a nutshell, persist getting to places where Jesus says he loves to work. When you're waiting on God, when you want to see him do big things in your life, you're just, he's not doing it. We tend to lay back, to go into that closet of self-pity, right? To just go and just do our life the way we normally would do it. Jesus says, no, keep seeking me in those places I say I'll be, where I love to do work. This is what we see in Bartimaeus. He can't do anything to help himself about blindness. But that doesn't mean he resigns himself to that fate. It doesn't mean he gives in to mindlessness. It doesn't mean he curves his life inwards to please only himself. Though he can't do anything, he keeps putting himself in positions where something can be done. In fact, if we take time, we can see in Bartimaeus' life four Little pieces, four pieces of of historic, biblical, spiritual disciplines evident in his life. Spiritual disciplines have historically been called disciplines because they are practices that God says to keep on doing, especially when you don't want to. And we're going to see four of those this morning. But they're especially when I don't feel God. I don't sense Him. I don't see what He's doing in my life. You do them because Jesus says to do them. You do them out of obedience. This is where Jesus says he loves to do his best work. And so you do them anyway. So I want to encourage you to consider where you might persist likewise. Which discipline do you need to persist in in your life to get you in that place where something might be done? So here we go. Disciplines where Jesus says he loves to do work. First we see how Bartimaeus shows a hint that he's been meditating on the Word of God in preparation for the help of Jesus. So meditation on God's Word. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Not once, but twice, right? Have mercy on me, Son of David. Bartimaeus had readied himself for the moment of Jesus' help by meditating on the Word of God. And he's already been connecting this word through the Old Testament to the person of Jesus, to the Messiah to come. How do we know this? What was that word? We see back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 11-14. through 14. I'm just going to read that to you. This is what God said to King David. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that He will make you a house when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up 
your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish His kingdom. He shall build a house for My name. I will establish the throne of His kingdom forever. I will be to Him a father. He shall be to Me a son. And you might object, well, I bet you other people made this connection as well to Jesus and that Him, that person who established the throne of God forever and be a true king to His people. People probably recognize that. But they didn't. Bartimaeus is the only person who sees and addresses Jesus, the son of David, in the Gospel of Mark. The only one. How? Do you think he just made this up? No, he he had been thinking on this promise of God. He'd been meditating on it. He'd been considering, there's one who's going to come who can help me, who can make the wrong things right again. That is the son of David, the rightful king. In fact, if you turn the page, you'll see that Jesus makes reference to this pact. Look just real quick with me. Chapter 12, starting in verse 35 of Mark. Look how Jesus makes reference to this later. Jesus taught in the temple. He said, how can the scribes say that the Christ, in other words, the king to come, is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, this is from Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I put your enemies under your feet. David calls him Lord. So how is he also his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. In other words, he's saying, how, how can that future person be God? The Lord said to my Lord. In other words, two members of the Godhead talking to each other. How can that God also be David's son, only if a Messiah was born under the people of God, a human being. You know who got that before Jesus even uttered it? Bartimaeus. How? Because he's been meditating on the word of God. He gets that this is the guy who can help me. He is not only the son, a human being, but he's Lord. Having meditated on God's word, he also connects the son of David with the mercy of David. If you look at all the Old Testament, where does God talk specifically about lame people, about crippled people? There's one specific crippled, lame person in the Old Testament I think will will come to mind if you've ever studied the Old Testament. There's a wonderful moment after David makes it big, finally gets the throne, where he seeks out the son of his deceased best friend, a man named Meshibosheth, who is crippled. He's got nothing to offer. And he even says that to David. I have nothing to offer. I'm not worthy to even know you, king. And he, says, he says, nonsense. Come and sit at my table. For the rest of your days, I want you to sit with the rest of my sons. He treats him as a son. He loves him. These are the kinds of things that Bartimaeus is thinking on. Dave, the son of David, he will be merciful and he will be great. He will be a human being, but he will be Lord. So he's ready when he comes and he comes across him on the roadside. You see that? When you don't sense God's presence, I want to encourage you to still seek him through his word. To meditate on him. You know what Jesus says in John chapter 8, 31-32? Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And as you abide in my word, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You want to experience freedom in your life. 
You want to experience freedom from that bondage that keeps holding you back. Abide in his word so that you'll be ready when he does work in your life to respond and to enjoy that freedom as he brings it. There are 66 rooms in God's house you might abide. There's beauty in every one of these rooms. Curiosity is worth examining in each. I want to encourage you to look inside. You can start at any one of these 66 books, these rooms. As you read, when something strikes you or gives you pause, pause. Abide for a while. Listen to what God might be saying to you. Chew on his word. Talk about it with other people. Ask questions of it and live it out in your life. So that's the first discipline we see Bartimaeus prepare himself for here. Second one we see is single-purposed prayer. He began to cry out. Again, he cried out all the more. As you meditate on the Word of God and look at your life, what you need in your life begins to take shape. What you need most from God in your life begins to take shape. One of the neat things God does when you begin to trust Him is He even takes what you formerly detested about yourself and He uses it for His glory. He takes something that you thought, God can never use this. I don't even like this about myself. He uses it for His glory. Bartimaeus was a beggar. You think he liked being a beggar? You think he enjoyed being by that roadside or anyone else around him enjoyed him calling out, asking for help because he couldn't see food or a way to, to make money for himself? Of course he didn't. But God took his weakness and made it a strength that he, he prepared him so that when begging was needed, he cried out to the Son of God. And he persisted with it. To beg, you must know exactly what you need and exhaust all tactics to get it. We had just finished playing a, a, a rousing game of soccer and football during the World Cup. Kind of buzz was going on. When I caught my nephew, who wanted to play soccer again that afternoon, in the hot Florida sun, this was this last summer, but he heard me say, not now, we'll do it again tomorrow. I caught him saying to my son Mason, hey, will you just bug your dad? We just, we just bug him until he gives in. I was like, Andy, come on, man. <laughs> I can hear you. But he knew. He knew what it was like to be a son. If you, just, if you just bug him enough, your dad might give in. I've used this strategy on my father, clearly. Jesus tells a couple parables about prayer. Both of them involve knowing what you need and persisting until you get it. Bartimaeus knew that. He practiced this in his life. He not only probably begged of people, he begged of God. Give me my sight back. Bring the one who can restore my sight. And so that when he came, he was ready to beg. He knew what he needed. He asked it. With a single purpose, single mind, he reached out. The Bible contains a great truth about God that he is able to give immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. Here's my question for you. Have you asked do you go before the throne of God and imagine with him what he might do in your life? See, we often say, like, man, I wish God would work in my life. I wish I would see some answer to prayer. I wish I'd see him do big things. Someone might even ask you, well, have you prayed about it? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But you know in the back of your mind, you may have prayed once, twice. You're not persisting. You know in your heart of hearts, you're not seeking him in the places he says he might be found, where he loves to do work. 
persistent prayer, a single-purpose prayer, that's a place where we can go, and Jesus loves to meet us. A third discipline we see here at work in the life of Bartimaeus. We see it just briefly, but there's just a hint of it. It's imperfect community. Take heart. Get up. He is calling you. Who utters those words in the story? Did you notice? It's the same people who are trying to distract Bartimaeus. The same people who are an obstacle to Bartimaeus getting to Jesus. This is, this is so amazing. This great crowd plays such a fascinating role. At one time, they play obstacle. Then they play help and encouragement, right? Verse 48, hush down. Jesus don't want to hear from you. Be quiet. Verse 49, get up, take heart. He's calling you. Isn't it just like being part of a church? Being part of community. Jesus had a purpose in using them. He could have called out himself to Bartimaeus. Hey, Bartimaeus, get over here. Or had his apostles do this. But instead, he uses people who previously discouraged Bartimaeus. People who had even been stumbling blocks. This is not an accident, friends. Bartimaeus listens to them, despite the fact that they'd utterly discouraged him 30 seconds earlier. There are times you can't allow imperfect community to get in the way of doing what you know Jesus is calling you to do. Okay? But that doesn't mean you stop listening to them. It doesn't mean you you stop running to community, to be part of a fellowship like community groups, like a church. These, These are the same means that God will use to grow you like Him fully. Yes, at one time they might be an obstacle to your faith, but the next moment God uses them to bring you to Jesus. See that here? Isn't that awesome? I love how Jesus decides to use the imperfect crowd, the sinners. Bring them to me. If you're not sensing the presence of God, are you getting to places where two or more are gathered in his name? Because he says he'll be there in a special way. A fourth discipline we see here in the life of Bartimaeus is simplicity. The discipline of simplicity. Throwing off his cloak, he sprang up. There are many disciplines in the Christian life that put us in better places where Jesus can work in our lives. Notice, I didn't say that if you do something, this would be legalism. If you do something, it causes Jesus to work. He is not a uh, vending machine God. But it puts you in a better position where something might be done because he says, do it. Okay, simplicity is one of those. Bartimaeus is the antithesis of the rich young ruler we saw in Mark 10. Do you remember him, the rich young ruler? The rich young ruler can't see clearly who Jesus is. He comes to him, and he knows him as good teacher. But he doesn't know him as Lord. He never knows him personally as his God because he can't give up the possessions that blind him. The things that blind him from seeing Jesus clearly. Bartimaeus threw off his cloak to go follow Jesus and to know him personally and clearly for the rest of his days. What does that mean he threw off his cloak? Does that mean he threw out like his Patagonia jacket or his North Face jacket? Is that what it means? Or like his bathrobe? You know, something you don't really maybe necessarily need. You can do without. No, 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 no. When he threw off his cloak to see Jesus, this was the outer robe that the ancients wore over an inner, sh- inner shirt like a night garment. All right? In other words, the last thing that was protecting him from basically wearing his PJs, the last thing he could possibly wear to protect himself from being completely indecent, 
It was a borderline necessity. He throws off the only thing left that he didn't absolutely have to have. You see that? Sometimes possessions and clutter make the vertical connection to God hazy as it did with the rich young ruler. Possessions aren't bad. That's called asceticism. Simplicity puts possessions in their right place, their right priority. I want to know and see God clearly. So I will abandon anything that distracts me from Him or that something that distracts me from Him. Do you see that? It might be downgrading or not upgrading your phone because you know if you do so, it would distract you from being ready for the work of Jesus, from what He's trying to say to you in your life. It may be not upgrading where you live because you know that a house search right now would sap your energy from seeking Him. It might be less words. It might be less excuses, less activity, less noise. I don't know what it might be for you, but less would mean more so you could be more ready for Jesus and the work He wants to do. Which of these do you need to persist in as you wait for God to work? That's my question. But this passage isn't only about Bartimaeus and what makes him different. It's about what makes Jesus different. Jesus, the one who loves to do work. I just want to point out three awesome things about Jesus we see here. Awesome truths about the Savior. Number one, Jesus treats you as a person who gets to respond in relationship. Not a problem to be dealt with. Isn't that great about Barnabas? Everyone else says you are a problem. You are a nuisance to Jesus and to the work of God. Maybe even a pastor or a leader has told you that in your life before. Your your problem is a distracting problem. That's the way Jesus treats people. He says, no, no, no. You're a person. I want to relate to you. I want to have this relationship where we can respond to one another. And that's good news. Number two, we see here about Jesus. Jesus compels change not only to your circumstances, but to your whole person. Having been sozoed, which is the Greek word here for saved, having been saved in sight, Bartimaeus follows Jesus on the way. And so he demonstrates that his whole person is saved. As Bartimaeus has had faith in Christ, he is now compelled by Jesus for his whole person to be saved in Christ. How awesome is that? Jesus doesn't want to just say the thing that's wrong with you, the temporary problem, but the whole person. Number three, Jesus stops. And then also we see in verse 49 there, Jesus stopped. And Jesus always stops to reward a faith whose simple claim is, you say it, so I'll do it. Even though I can't see you, even though I don't feel you, even though I don't see all the tangible answers to prayer, I don't even know if I see fruit in my life necessarily. I'm not sure. You say it, so I'll do it. Jesus loves to reward such a faith. Will you persist? Weren't you guys encouraged by Wes's testimony up here earlier? Just about how God was at work. And I love that story about the man who's going to murder his family. But God put that bug in his eye, clearly. That speck in his eye, if you will. So that he can know Jesus and love his family again. One story you didn't get to hear, but Wes told me, it was about a family whose baby boy was born without sight. Literally without, without eyes. The family prayed and they pleaded. 
They sought help and they waited. And having heard about the presence of these doctors, that was described in this mission work, this cataract work, because they didn't really know exactly what that was, they, they walked 30 miles, 30 miles they walked. Can you imagine? Just after the service, you walk 30 miles to get help. Help that they sought. New eyes for their now infant son. Something that the doctors unfortunately couldn't give. They couldn't give the son new eyes. Well, they were sad and really devastated, but they did receive the word of God and were strengthened through the worship service there. They, they, they received prayer through John Baker, the lead missionary on the site there. They, they received loving care through food as well as shelter for the night to get strength for their journey back. So God didn't meet them. But the point here is that they continued to walk. They continued to persist in walking 30 miles, seeking an answer for God as they waited on him. What do you seek from God? What do you seek from God this morning? Do you clearly relate to him without the static? Turn to, to work in your life in powerful ways, more than you can ask or imagine. A clear answer to prayer or freedom from what bonds you. Persist getting to places, friends, where Jesus loves to do work. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for Bartimaeus. What makes him so interesting is he was completely helpless just like we are, but that didn't mean he stopped seeking help. Father, I confess that when I feel helpless, I so often stop seeking help. I stop abiding in your word. It's easy to to give up on prayer. I want to often retreat from God's people because I just have been there before. It's not going to help, I feel like. And so I cut the disciplines. I cut the places you say you love for me to go to because that's where you love to work. Father, help us continue to seek you in the places you say you love to work. In your word, in prayer, in community. And at times, Maybe even the discipline of simplicity, casting off that which distracts us, that's what clutters our lives. That's where you want to meet us. We're not talking here about legalism, where if you do something, God will love you more, show you more favor, or finally answer that prayer. We're talking about faith. Just doing simply what Jesus said to do. Abide in my word. Persist in prayer. Continue to get yourself to the people of God so that your heart won't be hardened. That's where I'm going to meet you. Meet us this morning, this week, in our lives as we seek you. In Jesus' name, amen.